Welcome to the podcast of Saltbox Church, where we are passionate about sharing the hope of the gospel until Christ is formed in you. Amen. Woo-wee! I, I feel like I'm in the, in the company of superstars this morning, just heroes of the faith, saints of God, who just said, there ain't no rain going to slow me down. Can't nobody break up my stride. Came to church this morning to give an offering of worship and praise to Jesus. And I'm so humbled that I get to share the, the word with you guys this morning. Um, and, uh, man, I'm so excited. I, I love what God is doing at Saltbox Church. I love what he is doing here. And uh, I look around this room. And I see so many different people from so many different uh, faith traditions and so many different backgrounds. We have people in the room today uh, who grew up Baptist. And there's people in the room right now who grew up going to Methodist churches and the traditions of the Methodist church. There's those right now in the room who grew up Presbyterian and they have just formed a committee to get me fired just kidding. I'm just joking. I love Presbyterians. <laughs> my wife's a Presbyterian, so my favorite person is one, so that's a, I can make that joke. Um, we have, uh, have non-denoms or non-denominational Christians and believers in the house. Uh, we have uh, charismatics. I was waiting for a woo. No woo. <laughs> Y'all missed the opportunity right there. <laughs> Pentecostals. All right, we got some. We got some. They just let themselves be known. Praise Jesus. There's so many different uh, backgrounds for all of us, and all of us have different experiences of church and what church is and what church is about. And for every single one of us, we also have had different experiences when it comes to worship and worship in the church and what worship is about. And if all of us, if you polled every single one of us and you asked us to give an account of what we believe about worship, as many people are in this room, we might get that many answers, don't you think? But what we are is we are united together as a family. Though we come from different backgrounds and we come from different traditions, we're united in what the Word teaches and we are united to each other as we have decided to do this life thing together. As a church. So, we're going to talk a little bit about worship and what worship means and what worship is about. And, uh, and you might disagree with me, and that's okay. I'm not going to fight you for it. I got the microphone. And, and so, I understand that you might not agree with, with everything that I'm going to share with you today, but I really want to dive into what the Bible says and what the Word says about worship. And for us as believers, what does that call us to? Amen? Because we know that the Bible is the truth from cover to cover. It's the inerrant word of God, and we can trust what the Bible has to say to us. So we're going to lean into that today. Amen. 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 So today we're going to emphasize an understanding of praise and worship as it relates to personal as well as corporate devotion. So personal is what you do at home in your prayer closet, and corporate is what we do. It doesn't mean business. It means 
community or, or family or group. So what we do together as, uh, as a congregation, uh, it's my prayer today that praise and worship are, are going to be integrated into all of our daily lives as, as a way that we live. There's a passage of scripture in Hebrews chapter 13. You don't have to turn there or you can write it down for those of you who are diligent note takers. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15 says, and I love this, it says, with Jesus's help, let us continually offer our sacrifice of praise to God by proclaiming the glory of his name. With Jesus' help, let us continually offer our sacrifice of praise to God by proclaiming the glory of his name. We need to intentionally, in our focus, we have to we have to be uh, we have to be direct and intentional about how we embrace scriptural expressions of praise and worship, not just the ones that we are familiar with. <laughs> when we encounter expressions that are outside outside of our experience, we do not judge the hearts or intentions of others as they worship the Lord. So what I'm trying to say is that we might talk about some things that you haven't experienced in your faith journey, but I'm also, we're not going to judge each other because of the way that we were raised. We're going to look at what the Bible says and we'll do our best to attain that. Amen? Amen. Come on, somebody. Y'all are getting exciting today. Uh, So here's some things to remember about praise and worship, okay? No matter what musical background you prefer, whether you really just feel like four chords and the truth on an acoustic guitar is the way to worship Jesus, I can get with that. Whether you believe a full rock show worship experience with a haze machine and, and laser lights and LED screens, if like, man, that is like giving glory to God and what you're comfortable with, okay. If you're like, man, pianos and pipe organs, the Lord doesn't show up unless there's a B3. <laughs> amen. 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 Uh, or uh, if there's some other, even if it's just a cappella singing, here's what we got to remember about praise and worship and what it means corporately. Number one, first and foremost, God is the focus. God is the focus of our praise and our adoration. Our praise and our worship are centered on the Lord, his kingship, his glory, what he's done. Praise and worship are not based on our needs, even though there's no doubt whatsoever that our needs are met when we praise and worship him. It's not about us. One experience that we could probably, if we could kind of float above the American church and we could take a look at Sunday morning and most attitudes of worship when it comes to corporate worship in church, what we would probably see, whether or not someone realized it or not, what we'd probably see is an experience where most congregants are waiting for the worship leaders to reveal the presence of God, and then the presence of God ministers to you, and we walk out of the door feeling inspired and feeling uplifted 
and feeling ready to take on our week, where we will then neglect worshiping God for six more days until it's time for the worship leaders to rip open the curtains again on a Sunday morning and say, come behold the presence of God. We hold our coffees in our hands. We close our eyes and sway, cry a little tear. If you're a man, you suck it back in. (laughs) But it's kind of become this therapeutic experience. And I don't believe that that's biblical. I don't believe that that's the model that the Bible sets for us when it comes to worship. If we look back at that passage of Scripture in Hebrews chapter 13, it says, Offer our sacrifice of praise. Here's what sacrifice means to me. It's going to cost me something. It's going to cost me something to praise God. It's going to cost me something to express worship. That it's not for me, it's for him. So what if we turned the tables, what if we switched and changed our perspective and we showed up on Sunday morning to worship with each other, prepared to bring an offering to God, to bring him our praise to bring him our worship, to minister to his spirit, not expecting him to minister to us. Whenever we read a biblical narrative describing the gathering of the people of God, we see a lot of actions, a lot of activity. And we're going to kind of jump into that this morning. You can see in Genesis 24, 26, the bowing of the knee. Um, You can see the lifting of hands as an expression of surrender. Uh, An example would be Lamentations 341. Clapping, an expression of joy. Dancing, shouting, singing songs and expressions and and, uh, things that minister to the soul. Psalm 147.1. The playing of instruments. All of those things express diversity and express a diverse relationship with our Lord. Every glimpse into the heavenlies that we see in Scripture shows God as the focus of our praise and adoration. And there's four different characteristics of heavenly praise and worship. And we're just going to look at uh, two passages of Scripture uh, very quickly, Revelations chapter 4 and Revelations 15. If you go and look at that, it's basically a snapshot of the kind of worship and the kind of praise that's going on in heaven. So in reference in uh, Revelations chapter 4, you see that worship is addressed primarily to God. It is aimed at him and focused on him. Revelation chapter 15, verse 3 and 4 gives us a picture that worship is concerned with his person and who he is, the characteristics of God. It blesses his work. It blesses what he has done. It's, it's bragging. It's boisterous. And what do you see in, verse, in chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, that it is expensive, yet it's clothed in humility. It costs something. It is beautiful. 
but it is aimed primarily at Jesus. Biblical praise and worship clashes with our culture, which doesn't really place a high value on demonstrations of praise and worship spiritually. Our society smiles on external expressions of joy or excitement and worship of worldly things like football, like sports. The NBA Finals are going on right now. Um, the, uh, the Carolina Panthers are in OTAs, and I can tell you all about it. I can tell you what defensive scheme they're getting ready to run. I can tell you the coaches they've had. you got it bad if you know the name of coaches. I, I don't know about that. But if you show up on any given Sunday to stadiums around America, you see people who are engaged in worship and praise. Some of us are engaged in that at home on our couch with our Cheetos and hot wings. And when our team gets that little ball over the goalpost, we jump up, yeah, beating our chest, yeah. They're awesome. If you go to a stadium, you're going to see people with letters painted on their chests, little kids dressed up. Everybody's wearing the jersey, supporting the team. And that's okay. That's all right. Those celebrations make people comfortable. But we don't have an understanding in our culture of expressive worship within the faith realm. Authentic biblical expressions of worship should always stretch us or take us further into a deeper knowledge of who God is. And what God's done. God calls for praise and worship, which involves the whole being, led by the Spirit with purity and honesty. So we're going to talk a little bit this morning about some differences between praise and worship. I've used those terms, and a lot of times we use them interchangeably, but they're very different. Those two things are very different from each other. Number one, praise. I would say that praise brings us into the presence of God. And worship is what we do once we're there. Praise brings us into the presence of God. And worship is what we do once we get there. Praise, for the most part, is more boisterous. And it's more exuberant than worship. It tends to be a response to the Lord and His deeds. Worship is an intimate communion. So I would say, like, Praise is the touchdown celebration, and worship is more like a love letter. Worship is intimate. Praise allows for the recognition of other people. We, we sing about the goodness of God. We shout. We celebrate. Come on, everybody. Let's kick our feet and clap our hands and get in it. It is, it is all of us together. Praise allows for other people to be a part. Worship is more personal. It's more direct between us and the Lord. Worship is intimate communion. Praise is characterized by distance between God and his people, but worship is more personal by nature. Worship is about God only. When we lead in praise, we can easily include folks. When we lead in worship, we should reflect a spirit of intimacy by our, focus on being, by our focus being on God and not on others. There's important differences between praise and worship, but they also sometimes overlap. So there's some things that we would see in praise and certain actions and activities that you see in praise that you also see in worship. 
but they also have very, very different expressions. Let's talk about praise. Praise is the act of expressing thanksgiving to God, boasting, bragging about him, magnifying him, or making music to him. It's celebratory in its language and tone. Praise our response to his character and their expressions of unity with God, who he is. He is our savior. He is our healer. He is our provider, our protector, our king. We are bragging on King Jesus. He is number one. No one can stop our God. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. That is the attitude and the heart of praise. It also focuses on what he's like. He is almighty. He is loving. He is kind. He is generous. He is holy. He is pure. Most of our understanding of praise comes from the Old Testament. We see it most frequently there. And I'm going to share with you seven Hebrew words that are often translated praise in the English Bible. The first I want to share with you is Yadah. Yadah, Y-A-D-A-H. And Yadah means to extend the hands, to throw, to cast. This movement right here, to extend the hands, to throw, to cast. This is a biblical expression of worship. Another is todah, T-O-W-D-A-H. And it means to make a sacrifice of praise, adoration, by the extension of the hand. Another is halal. And halal means to be clamorously foolish, to shine, to make a show, to boast, to celebrate halal. Another that we see in scripture is taga. Taga means to clatter, to slap the hands together, to clang an instrument, to make a vow by the clasping of hands. Another that you see is tehillah, which means to sing a song or hymn of praise. Another is shabak which means to shout, to commend, to give glory or triumph. And this next one is one of my favorites, but it's also very controversial. This one is ruah. Can you say ruah? Say it one more time. Ruah. Ruah is awesome because this is what ruah means. To split the ears with sound. To split the ears with sound. To shout an alarm for joy. Everybody say, Ruah. Ruah. And another, again, is Zamar. And Zamar means to play an instrument, to make music accompanied by the voice. To sing a psalm. There are fewer words in the, in the New Testament that mean praise or have a close proximity to our word praise. Um, one is anio which means to praise or mention honorably. And then here's one you might be familiar with. It's Eucharisto, and it means to thank or to be grateful. So when we read the word praise, praise God all ye people, what you might see if you were reading in the Torah, instead of the word praise, it might say Tehillah, which means to sing. It might say Taga, but we, we just translate that word into as praise. Uh, and there's places in the Bible that tell us to do these things. Even in English, it's so emphatic in Scripture that it literally tells us to clap our hands. It literally tells us to shout. The Bible literally tells us in Psalms to dance, to spin, 
These are our biblical instructions, not just suggestions, that our worship should be active. So speaking of worship, what is worship? If praise is boisterous and kind of loud and splitting of the eardrums, then what is worship? Worship is our response to the thing that we value the most. Our response to what we value the most. Worship is a physical expression of our spiritual relationship with God. Worship is the attitude and the act of a person when he realizes how much God is worth. Worship is love expressed. Worship is love expressed. So what does the Bible say about it? There's a couple of different words I want to share with you. Um, there, and, and there are two words specifically that are most translated into worship. One is shaha, shaha, S-H-A-W, or S-H-C-H-A-H, excuse me, which means to bow oneself down, to crouch, to fall down flat, like laying down on your stomach and getting as flat as you can. Humbly to beseech, that means to make a request of, to do reverence. And it is used in the, New, uh, the Old Testament, excuse me, 172 times. This action of laying down, bending down, kneeling down to fall flat on your face. Is mentioned 172 times in the Old Testament. You see it in Exodus chapter 4, verse 29 through 31. And that scripture says, Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, here it is, they bowed and they worshiped. And that word worship is shaha. They worshiped. You see it again in Psalm 66, 4. All the earth will worship you and will sing praises to you. They will sing praises to your name. That word, all the word will worship, is all the word will, all the world will lay down flat on its belly and get as small as they possibly can before you. To, to, to lay down to kneel. That is a sign of surrender. Do you ever see like movies where, where like there's a bank robbery? Or has anybody of you, any one of you ever been in a bank robbery before? If you have, we need to talk, like, right after this. I want to hear that story. But when you watch a movie and there's a bank robbery, what do they tell people to do? Everybody get down. It's a sign of surrender. It's a sign of you are bigger than me. You've got the weapons. You've got the guns. You're powerful, and I am not. I am not a threat to you. And so I bow, lay down on my stomach in front of you. It's humbling. 
Another word that you see often used in the New Testament, specifically when it comes to worship, and this is really cool, it's proskuneo. If you're from the south, you can say proskuneo. I won't judge you. But the Greek is proskuneo. And this is what proskuneo means. It means to kiss the hand towards. In a token of reverence, to kiss the hands towards. To fall on the knees and touch the ground with the forehead as an expression of profound reverence. And we see this used 70 times in the New Testament. Proskuneo. We see it in Matthew chapter 2 verse 2. And he was asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and we have come to proskuneo him, to worship him, to kiss towards him, to adore towards him. You see it in Revelation chapter 7 verse 11. It says, and all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings. And they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and they worshiped God. They were aware of the presence of God. I'm getting ahead of myself. But they were aware of the presence of God. And what their response was was to bow down in front of him, forehead to the ground. In adoration and worship for God. We're going to take a look at a passage of scripture in Isaiah chapter 6. So if you would please turn to Isaiah chapter 6. I will be reading from the New Living Translation. So if it's a little bit different than your Bible, don't get too concerned. I want to just give you a little snapshot, like the one I was referencing in, in Revelations. This is kind of a throne room glimpse, but this is from the Old Testament. So Isaiah gets a little peek behind the curtain and gets to see the inner workings. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. It says, it was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. This is his firsthand account. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. I can't even begin to do the math on that, or what that might have looked like. But this is like pre-CGI. So all of this he is seeing live. And they were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. And then I said, it's all over. I doomed, for I am a sinful man, and I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips, yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies." Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal that he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. And he touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Look at verse 8. 
Then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am. Send me. What we see is two things taking place in this passage of Scripture. Number one is revelation. God revealed himself to Isaiah. God revealed himself to Isaiah. Those revelation. Then there's a response. Isaiah responded to that revelation. I think it's so interesting how that all happened and how it all kind of took place in him. And you can also see it unfolding inside of him almost in sequence. The first thing you see is in Isaiah 6, 5, you see conviction in the face and in the presence of Almighty God. Isaiah was convicted. He said, woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. The New King James says it this way, woe to me for I am undone. Undone. The Hebrew word for undone means to come apart at the seams. To like be ripped apart. Isaiah was totally exposed for who he was before a holy God. Has something like that ever happened to you? Have you ever been in the presence of God and all of a sudden you realized how holy he was and how great he was, but also at the same time how unholy you are, how unworthy you are, how you don't measure up even even on your best day, by the best standards. In comparison with the almighty, holy God, even Paul said, my righteousness is like filthy rags. This is a guy who wrote most of the New Testament and spread the gospel around the world. The apostle Paul, he goes, I am filthy in front of this. And Isaiah even goes on to say, I am undone. I just know I'm a goner. That happens to us in the presence of God. We are made aware and convicted of our sin because of the holiness of who he is. That's not just to beat us, to make us feel shame. It's not about feeling shame. It's about seeing ourselves for who we really are. In God's presence, we are exposed before the Lord. The next thing you see, he goes from, Isaiah goes from conviction to confession. In Isaiah 6, verse 5, the second part, it says, For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. A vision of the holiness of God that brings true conviction of sin is always followed by a confession of sin. I think it's funny that Isaiah acknowledged his sin before God, like, oh, man, the stuff I say is awful, and I'm also around all these people. And Lord, you ought to hear what they have to say. And they influence me. Uh, It's not all me, but it's them. He kind of threw everybody else under the bus a little bit there. But in that confession, he understood. He didn't measure up. And what God brought to his attention, what the presence of God brought to his attention was his mouth. The things that he said in the locker room. The things he said when he didn't realize that he, he might be in mixed company. So regardless of the reasons or excuses, sin 
It's like a prison that, that we can never be freed from until we admit that the reason you're bound to it is because of you. Your fault, your choices, my actions, my deeds. Who's responsible for my sin? I am. The pursuit of my own self, selfish desires, my own selfish gratification. I want more. I want to be noticed. I want to be recognized. I want the big house. I want you to be talking about me. Me, me, me. And that's the root of my sin and my selfishness. But when I'm in the presence of God, I can see that for what it truly, really is. And it's powerful. But what happens? What does the Bible say that happens when we're cognitive of our sin and we confess it? When we see that sin and confess it out loud, 1 John 1, 9 says, But if we confess our sin to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to, come on, to cleanse us from all wickedness. You guys are preaching this morning. To cleanse us from all wickedness. And that's exactly what we see in Isaiah 6, 6. The one, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, see this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Man, I wish I had more time to unpack that. The coal and the lips and the man. Isaiah confessed the sin of his mouth and what was restored and cleansed. Because Isaiah was convicted and confessed, he was made clean. And we are made clean through the blood of Jesus. What Jesus did for us on the cross by taking on our punishment and the punishment for our sins and our faith in that Jesus and what he did for us cleanses us. The cleansing power of God went to work on Isaiah's behalf. God is holy, but he is also merciful. When we confess our sins, God goes to work and he cleanses us with the blood of Jesus. And we can be restored. So after the cleansing, what happens? This is crazy to me. Isaiah 6, 8. After he was cleansed, he was called. After he was cleansed, he was called. Isaiah 6, 8 says, Then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. He was called. And, and it's, it's funny because it's like there's not a, a gap there. Like it happened all at once. Like God just didn't wait for Isaiah to get his mess together and to become more knowledgeable and to become a greater follower. After he was cleansed, he was called. I believe that as believers... As followers of Jesus Christ, those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus, we are called. We are set apart. We are a royal priest. We are a holy nation. Amen? We don't see ourselves that way because the enemy is constantly lying to us about our identity and who we are. But we are heirs to the throne of heaven because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. It is finished. You can't earn it and you can't unearn it. It was done for you. It was done for you. Jesus said, it is finished. When the work was completed, he said, it is finished. There are some worship experiences that lead to a deeply personal encounter with God in which we see 
God's glory. And we see ourselves as we truly are. And we go through those same seas that Isaiah went through, that internal process of conviction of sin, of confession of the sin, and being cleansed from our sin. And we're called to a purpose. So that's all the stuff that's happening on the inside when we experience the presence of God. But I also believe that there's things that happen on the outside when we experience the presence of God. In an encounter in worship, we have to be intentional about praise and worship. I think it's something that we choose to do. We choose to praise and we choose to worship. We choose to do it in spite of how we feel or what's going on in our lives. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is in Isaiah 61, uh, verse 3, and it talks about putting on a garment of praise for the spirit of despair. We put praise on like a garment. We decide to be grateful. We decide to thank God even in the middle of our suffering, even in the middle of a diagnosis. We decide that what God is doing in my life is better than whatever hell I'm experiencing because he is on the throne and I see him there. Amen. And we choose to praise. And that has an impact on despair in our lives. The attitude of your heart is right when you begin to worship God and these physical responses begin to happen. They're outward expressions of what's happening between our hearts and God. Just because we have to choose to praise and to choose to worship doesn't mean that some of that ha- doesn't happen uh, in, in course and in time and naturally in our relationship with Him. There's a couple different expressions that I want to share with you. Um, and I'm going to go through this uh, relatively quickly. Uh, three outward expressions. Um, the spoken voice our hands, and our posture. Spoken voice, our hands, and our posture. The spoken voice, obviously, like those outward expressions of worship to the Lord is through speaking. Uh, Psalm 34, 1 says, I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. It includes things like prayer, reading scripture, being obedient to say something that the Holy Spirit puts on your heart or he's prompting you to say. That's one way of the spoken voice. Another is shouting. Y'all, I'm just telling you, it's in the Bible a lot. <laughs> Shouting is in here a lot. Psalm 27, 6 says, and I will hold my head high above my enemies. Oh, yeah, this is good. I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. That takes us to the, the other vocal uh, expression, singing. Psalm 95, 1 through 3 says, Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to him with thanksgiving, letting, our, letting us sing psalms of praise to him. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all little g gods. Amen. Have you ever noticed that when you're in a good mood, you just kind of sing? Like a little song comes out. I never taught my children to sing. I never taught my children to hum. But when my children were happy, and they couldn't even speak English words, when they were just little and barely could even walk, my kids were humming. I would walk by their little bedroom, and they'd be playing with trains going, mm-hmm, da-da, do-do-do. I never had to go in there and go, uh-uh, excuse me. It's da-da-da, bo-diddle-dum-dum. Never had, I never had to do that. 
I never taught them how to hum. That song and that joy just came out of them. It's in us, y'all. The measure of faith to believe is in us. The desire to worship God is in us. The music is in us. The voice is in us. So we see with the voice speaking, shouting, and singing. The next that I want to talk to you about is things that happen with our hands. Um, Psalm 33, 2 through 3 talks about playing instruments. Praise the Lord with melodies on the lyre. Make music for him on the ten-string harp. Sing a new song of praise to him. Play skillfully on the harp and sing with joy. That's something that we do with our hands playing instruments. This one is, is going to burden you. The next one that we do with our hands is clapping. Psalm 47.1 says, clap your hands, all ye nations, shout to God with cries of joy. Come on. Clap your hands. You have permission at Saltbox Church to clap your hands. Amen. You do. You don't have to be afraid. Step into it. If you struggle with rhythm, well, you see, uh, another uh, word that, that translates clapping is the word matcha, which means to rub or strike the hands together in exaltation. You see that in Psalm 98, verse 8. But clapping is part of the expression of what God is doing in us. It's, it's, it's putting our hands, it's making noise, making sound. Ruah. Lifting hands. Psalm 63, 4 says, I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. Lifting our hands. Psalm 139, 14 says, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. When you see that word praise, it's talking about the lifting up of hands. I will praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I will lift my hands to you. The Hebrew word for that is yadah, which means to revere or worship with extended hands. Lifting our hands is a tremendous expression of freedom. It's a physical way of showing need, surrender, and trust in the Lord. And it is something that we are very self-conscious about doing in America. Clapping and raising our hands. I'm going to tell you what I have to fight in my mind when I choose to raise my hand in church. You ready? Hands go up. The song said, lift my hands, praise you again and again. So I'm going to lift my hands up. Almost immediately I'm thinking, can other people see my belly button? (laughs) The next thing I'm thinking is, do I have any pit stains going on? Have I sweated out of my shirt? Is this gross for other people who are around me? And then I can come, am I doing it too long? Am I doing it too high? Do I look too radical Having my hand this way, maybe I should bring it down to this. You guys have seen the illustrations of like the different ways that you hold your hands. Like you have the you have to hold the TV and you have different things like that. The touchdown celebration. We can become very self-conscious about things like that. But those are things that we have to defeat to choose to praise the Lord. The last thing I want to talk to you about is our posture. Our posture. Psalm 95, 6 says, come let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. We talked a little bit about bowing. Another is standing, standing before God. My flesh trembles in fear of you. I stand in awe of your laws. 
standing before the Lord. And the last one I want to talk to you about is dancing. This isn't going to be a footloose sermon. But I do want to tell you about Psalm 149, verse 3. It says, praise his name with dancing, accompanied by tambourine and harp. To praise the Lord with dancing. That that is an expression of worship and praise to our God. And here's what that looks like. That looks like becoming so understanding of what God has done for you and what he has delivered you from and what he has brought you through and all the times that you can remember of all the times that he has healed you, that he has restored you, I see you, and and all the times that he has done great things in your heart and in your life and you cannot stand still. You can't sit silent. You've got to stand up and you've got to shout and you've got to sing and you've got to clap your hands to express your gratitude and thankfulness for all that God has brought you through. Amen. It's not about expression for expression's sake. It's not about just choosing one day we're going to be the expressive church and we're going to get out the worship flags and the tambourines and we're going to run aisles. It's not about that. It's about in my heart knowing and understanding who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, and I want you to, uh, I want you to look this up when you get home. Uh, at 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 14, it says, Daniel wearing a David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all of his might. That passage of scripture goes on to tell the story of David so excited about what God had done in the battle, fought, the enemy defeated, that he danced before the ark coming into the city, and he danced and he twirled and he spun and he danced out of his clothing. And all that he was wearing was an undergarment. And he danced before the Lord. And his new bride was seeing him dance in his undergarment. You can imagine. Was seeing him dance before the Lord with all of his might. And she was filled with disgust and frustration with King David. And when it was all over, she pulled him aside. And you just know she said this with clenched teeth, right? David, what were you doing? You embarrassed me in front of all the servant girls and all the people in the whole town. You're a king now. You're not a shepherd anymore. You're being undignified, and this is embarrassing. And David looked at his wife and he said, I will become even more undignified than this. You think this is bad? Baby, this is nothing. This can get a whole lot worse for you. I'm about to take off. And something amazing happens in this passage of Scripture. I really want you to read this and study this and and prove me wrong if I'm wrong, okay? But something amazing happens. To David's wife, from that day forward, she was struck barren. She could not reproduce, and she couldn't have kids. Because she's tried to stifle in King David his heart of praise and his heart of worship. Church, do you know that you have that same voice in you every single week That accuses you of looking like an idiot when you want to raise your hands and when you want to worship. I'm going to go ahead and call you. You guys want to come on out here. When you want to stand up and shout but you don't because you're afraid of what people are going to say about you. 
When you want to lift your hands, but you're afraid of what your belly button is doing and what people are going to say about you. We have that same voice in our heart and in our spirit that wants us to shut up. And that voice isn't from the spirit, it's from the flesh. It's self-preservation. It's self-consciousness. Does God want us to be self-conscious? No. He wants us to be free. He wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. Fully devoted. Fully surrendered. Fully submitted. Worshiping him with our whole heart. I just want to encourage you. Maybe your next step, maybe you come from a faith tradition where clapping wasn't a thing. I want to challenge you next Sunday to put your hands together and clap. Maybe you come from a church tradition where raising your hand was weird and awkward and only fanatics did it. I want to challenge you to lift your hands, to try it. For some of you, I want to challenge you to bow during worship right there at your seats on that concrete floor to take a knee before the Lord and submit yourself to him. We're going to be reverent and we're going to be respectful. It's not going to turn into a zoo in here. But it's okay for us to express our worship and our praise before the Lord. Amen. As our worship team begins to play, I want to share with you a final quote. And this is from a worship pastor of Gateway Church in Texas. And his name is uh, is Pastor Zach Neese. And he says this. Why don't you stand with me as as we read this together. He says, at the cross, I view the mercy of God. At the cross, I view the mercy of God, love without equal. Worship is what happens when I decide to love him back, when I return that love to him. I offer my body, every part of it, as a living sacrifice to express the posture of my heart towards my Lord. Worshippers will love God with their songs, but more importantly, they will love him with their lives. Every use of their hands, every path that their feet fall on, every thought, every affection, every glance of the eye, every ounce of their strength expresses love louder than words. Worship is not a grudging service but the grateful response of a heart that's been wooed by the cross. Today, let your praises be heard, but let them be seen as well. Our voices are only one of the instruments that the Lord has given us to use for his glory. Let your life be an expression of the posture of your heart towards God. And may people love Jesus more Because they have been around you. Let's continue to worship this morning. Don't you get shy on me. 
Challenge that voice. Challenge that voice that's telling you to be quiet. Come on, church. heart and the meditations the meditations now we pray that you would come and live here where your spirit rule and reign in us that you would come and dwell where we worship you God our worship will be acceptable in your sight God we give you the glory and we give you the praise and the honor in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. God bless you guys. We love you and we'll see you next Sunday. Thank you for listening to this podcast of Saltbox Church. If this content was helpful to you, please like it, rate it, review it, and share it on social media as that is helpful to us. We believe when a person grows in their own Jesus journey, Everyone around them benefits and gets better.